0: Civil dialogue across the political divide. Uh, this is Ed Fallon, I'm your host, and we're coming to you from the heart of America's Heartland, Des Moines, Iowa. If you value what we do, we could sure use your support, folks. You can visit the donations page on the Fallon Forum website, or if you run a small business or a nonprofit doing good work, consider becoming a sponsor. And uh, speaking of sponsors, thanks to Gateway Marketing Cafe. That's Des Moines locally owned grocery and specialty food store. Gateway's cafe is open for dine-in, carry-out, and delivery service seven days a week. Uh, Check out Gateway's catering and floral services as well. Again, that's Gateway Marketing Cafe. Uh, Thanks also to Story County Veterinary Clinic, where Dr. Kim Holding has cared for all creatures, great and small, for over 30 years. You can learn more at Story County Veterinary Clinic's Facebook page. Wet'suwet'en people in Western Canada are facing an emergency, a dire situation, as the Coastal Gas Link Company prepares to drill under a key river running through their land. Now, before we discuss that with an advocate who's been tracking that battle closely... uh, there's an important piece of pipeline news that came out last week. Relevant, well, relevant to anybody who's dealing with a carbon dioxide pipeline, but especially important here in the Upper Midwest. By important, I mean that the um, you know mainstream media mostly missed it. <laughs> okay, so the um, the Federal Pipeline and Hazardous Materials Safety Administration, I know, great name, uh, is uh, FIMSA for short, which is also not a great acronym. Anyway, FIMSA released this report last week on the. Uh, the uh, carbon dioxide pipeline rupture in Satarsha, Mississippi, back in February of 2020. Now, if you remember, that rupture sent about 50 people to the hospital, uh, some in serious conditions, several who probably would have died if there hadn't been other people able to take quick action. So, that, the company at fault in that case in Satarsha is uh, Denbury Gulf Coast Pipeline. And uh, FIMS fined that company nearly $4 million. For safety violations. And they required Denbury to address a bunch of concerns, um, including establishing a geohazard program to analyze risks to uh, soil. Uh, and they failed to do that before, apparently. Also, to um, complete outreach to emergency responders along the pipeline route. They didn't do that either. Uh, to also revise their scientific model of what CO2 dispersion looks like. Uh, They didn't do a very good job at that either. And also, finally, they had to conduct a a more robust risk assessment, you know, based on what they learned. So what this says for Iowans and people in Minnesota, North Dakota, South Dakota, Illinois, the upper Midwest, where in in Iowa alone, 2,000 miles of land is threatened by three CO2 pipelines. What it says to us here is that property owners, um, small town residents, uh, emergency responders, have not been given the full story about the dangers of CO2, CO2 pipelines. So note to, note to those who are at, in, in the pathway of these things, uh, the, the, the federal government itself has said, hey, uh, not only are we fining you 4 million for negligence, but there's a whole bunch of things that should be considered that still aren't being done here. Meanwhile, in Canada... Uh, efforts by the Wet'suwet'en people are, they're facing this serious situation with the uh, Coastal Gasoline Company. That company is um, preparing to drill under a key river. And to learn more about that, uh, with us on the phone is uh, Jeff Kissling. Hello, Jeff. Uh, Welcome to the program.
1: Hi, Ed. Thank you.
0: Now, um, you are not a member of the Wet'suwet'en people. You are an Iowa guy, um, but you have been very much an ally, an advocate uh, for their uh, their dire situation, and that's been going on for a while now. Can you give us a little bit of background who they are, what they're opposing, and why?
1: Okay, sure. Uh, the Witsuitan uh, people are, are First Nations people in, in British Columbia, and uh, they have been trying to stop Coastal Gas Link, as you said, uh, from building a liquid. Um, nitrogen gas pipeline through their pristine territories. So they're unfortunately kind of caught between where the fracking occurs and the coastal port where they're going to ship the gas out. Um, so they've been uh, working on this for, for many years, but uh, they're just uh, continuously hassled by the Royal Canadian Mounted Police as uh, they try to do the work for the company to force the pipeline through their lands
0: and i imagine getting a pipeline across the rocky mountains in british columbia is no small challenge either uh yeah yeah so i mean that that's an environmental challenge and and threat but um the Wet'suwet'en people they are uh that's that's not i mean i'm sure there are many many tribes and nations that i'm not familiar with that's one of them but um they' becoming they're, they're becoming more well known in Canada at least because of their resistance to uh, coastal gas link. And uh, yeah I mean it, uh, how, how serious a threat is this? is it Is it really going to damage you mentioned it's going to be crossing under uh, a, I believe a key river in their land? Uh, right,
1: right that's called the woodss Kwa. That's correct. Okay. Well, there's, there's, they say they're using safe techniques. I'm not even sure what that means of kind of burying under the river up to the other side. But um, if, uh, if there's any kind of leak at all, and we know the pipelines always leak, it will just like destroy this beautiful river. And uh, already so much damage has been done to the beautiful territory as the construction equipment has gone through there and raised the forests and just torn things up.
0: Now, have, uh, have uh, the uh, Wet'suwet'en people been arrested as they've opposed this pipeline?
1: Uh, yes, they certainly have. Uh, they have a pretty intense campaign of uh, nonviolent resistance, uh, and their numbers are very small. It's like two years ago when there was a militarized RCMP uh, invasion, I think about 15 people were arrested for a short time. And then just another year ago, another big RCMP, militarized invasion of their land occurred and uh, probably another 15 or 20 people um, were arrested at that Mm -hmm. point.
0: Do they have support beyond their own community?
1: They do, they have a lot. And it kind of goes to what you were saying about the mainstream media with the CO2 pipeline. Here again, there's hardly any mainstream media, but they've been very effective in uh, asking people who support what they're doing to use their uh, social media platforms to spread the word. Uh, And that's actually how I got involved. Uh, I I was looking on uh, YouTube and came across this story about uh, the people who had evicted a pipeline construction company from their land, which just amazed me Uh because, like you, you, we've been fighting against the Keystone and Dakota Access and really didn't have any kind of success like that.
0: Yeah, that's and yeah. So um, now th- this is the uh, the the source the the locate where the the area where the gas is being extracted from is obviously east of the uh, Rocky Mountains. Is it any, anywhere near the uh, the Alberta tar sands region? I don't think it is. Okay, uh, but apparently there's. I mean, I I know, I know that in Alberta there are plenty of. Uh, uh, residents of the uh, of the province that do support oil and gas extraction. I don't know how. I haven't seen any polling on that lately, but um, I know that's been it's, that's been tough to fight against that because of the quote jobs uh, and the revenue that it generates. But uh, I, I'm I'm hoping they're getting some uh, resonance with others who care about the mountains, who care about justice, who care about the land. I mean, because you know you mentioned it going under a river. That's That's a huge thing. I mean, we have that experience here in Iowa. We haven't had a leak from the Dakota Access Pipeline. Not yet. Again, I think it's a matter of time. But if you look at the history of pipeline ruptures and spills and leaks, um, you know, it it, it varies. But one of the worst that happened was up in Michigan. So from our experience here in Iowa, you know, we've got got pipelines that, the Dakota Access Pipeline that crosses under the Des Moines River, the Big Sioux River, the uh, Mississippi River, And, uh, you know, I remember being at one meeting in Cherokee County when uh, a a guy who was an engineer, uh, a landowner in the area, an engineer who pointed out that, you know, the weakest points of any pipeline are where it's got that joint. And you think about, I mean, I think about myself, you know, I mean, I haven't had a lot of problems, but elbows, you know, where the arm bends, knees, where the leg bends, those are your you know, often your most vulnerable points. And so we're talking about, you know, in the pipeline, the most vulnerable points are under rivers. Uh, and you know, like you said, this uh, pipeline would be going under the river in the Wet'suwet'en's territory. Uh, that's got to be part of the reason why they're not happy about this.
1: Right. That's why uh, we kind of had this most recent uh, alert, uh, and it's called the Kill the Drill. Kill the uh, drill. So the, I, <laughs> All right. Yeah, related really to to uh, stopping the drilling under the river, and that targets uh, three different entities: the banks that fund the pipeline, this construction companies building the pipeline, and then uh, politicians responsible for, you know, approving the pipeline permits.
0: Hmm. So which which banks are funding it? Do you know?
1: Uh, I know that um, Chase Bank is one in RGB.
0: Okay, some of the usual um, suspects. Okay. Yeah. We actually
1: had a, an action at the Chase Bank in Merle Hay Plaza in December uh, trying for for this reason to, to target their supporting of during this pipeline and we had a quiet group of people. John Krieg was there from AFSC and uh, people from uh, Des Moines Black Liberation were there, so it's kind of a uh, multiple organization group that, that mm. appeared
0: there. Okay, so that uh, the, and that Merle Hay again is in Des Moines, but there have been there have been uh, expressions of solidarity with the Wet'suwet'en people across the country and across Canada as well. I assume.
1: Uh, yes, that's true. Yeah. There, there are a couple things about related to support of them in Canada. One is that uh, because of the treaties up there, the Canadian government uh, actually became involved in trying to honor the treaties, and it's been kind of a campaign plank of Justin Trudeau. So that's given them kind of a, another way to try to enforce their rights, which the, the Canadian government has done so-so success with that. But that also means they were kind of on the radar of the United Nations and the United Nations Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous People.
0: Hmm. So So the U.N.
1: has been giving them a lot of support as well.
0: So the U.N. has responded and and I presume critical of the Canadian government to some extent.
1: They have three different times and pretty, very critical.
0: So it sounds like the Canadian government's uh, recognition of treaties with indigenous communities um, is, is not managed quite the same way as it has been in this country. Although, again, things are, to some extent, in certain circumstances, improving here too, but... Um, with with the uh, higher importance that the Canadian government places on the integrity of those treaties, is that having any 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 impact on uh, on how um how this is playing out?
1: Uh, yeah, it, it's actually been pretty important because now that the government has said they will honor the treaties, then that's basically a tool you can use against them when they aren't doing that. Right and. Uh, the Canadian Supreme Court also had got was involved, and there's a ruling that said the that Wet'suwet'en indeed had not ceded any of their territory. So they have a judicial uh, body also supporting them.
0: Hmm. Okay. So, what do you think is uh, what's your best uh, take on what's likely to happen as the as coastal gasoline threatens to cross under the uh, the river?
1: Uh, well. Uh, the way things have been going, and especially with uh, lately, there's continual hassling of them from the RCMP. I'm afraid it might um, they might force yeah. um, the uh, drilling under the river.
0: Mm-hmm. And now, I mean, as as uh, as climate change continues to get worse, as the warnings about the climate crisis continue to get louder from the UN, from so many directions, from scientists. Is that playing into the conversation at all?
1: Uh, I can't honestly answer that. I would think so, and hope so.
0: Yeah, uh, you, you would think. I, I and I know that they, you know the Canadian government has been no uh, no great ally in terms of addressing the root causes of the climate crisis. Uh, I mean, yeah. the, the the most uh, grievous example, of course, is the Alberta tar sands. But um, right. you would think that uh, that as this as this crisis continues to unfold and it's not it's not a it's not a potential crisis it's happening it's happening now and it's happening happening severely all over the world uh you would hope that they would start taking taking more seriously the urgency of not continuing to extract and transport new sources of gas oil and and coal
1: yes you certainly would hope so and you know I get the impression there's some of that, but I just don't know the degree to which it applies to this particular situation yeah
0: so Jeff, if people want to learn more, get involved, be helpful at all, what should they do? Where should they go?
1: Uh, well Facebook um, they can kind of just google what Sueton. Um, let, let, let me spell that
0: let me spell that for people right there. it's W E T S U W E T. E N and there's a couple of apostrophes in there, but I think if you just spell the word out, you'll probably get to the Facebook page. Correct?
1: That that's correct. Okay. Yes. And where else? There is also uh, my blog, but it's kind of a, a long name: Quakers and Religious Socialism. Uh,
0: Quaker and com. religious Quakers and Religious Socialism That's correct. Okay. All right. Well, Jeff, uh, thanks uh, so much for joining us. Uh, really appreciate you taking the time to talk with us about the Wet'suwet'en people and the coastal gasoline pipeline that they're trying to stop.
1: Well, I really appreciate you uh, being one other way to kind of bring attention to what's going on. Thank you.
0: All right, folks, we've been talking to Jeff Kisling. Uh, again, this is Ed Fallon. We've got to take a short break, and when we come back, we'll be talking with Matthew Pickett, about a long walk happening this month on the East Coast in opposition to the Mountain Valley Pipeline. Back in a minute. Gateway and Cafe is Des Moines' locally owned grocery and specialty food store, centrally located at ML King Parkway and Woodland Ave. Enjoy chef-crafted prepared foods, artisan baked goods, organic produce, hand-cut meats, local and international cheeses, wines, and craft beer. Gateway's Cafe is open for dine-in, carry-out, and delivery service seven days a week. Stop by or visit gatewaymarket.com for more details. Gateway Market, good food, great community.
2: You're responsible for a lot, and it's easy to become overwhelmed, to feel helpless, even hopeless. What's not so easy is finding your way back to feeling and functioning better. Psychiatrist Dr. David Drake helps individuals and couples throughout Iowa with the convenience and privacy of televideo counseling. Dr. Drake also prescribes medication when needed, and his services are offered on a self-pay basis. If you need help, don't delay. Contact Dr. Drake at daviddrakefamilypsychiatry.com.
0: Welcome back to the Fallon Forum. You know, at a time when big corporations control most of the media, this niche that we're providing here is uh, more important than ever. So please support what we do and what other independent operators do. You know, go to the Fallon Forum website. You can you can uh, spread the word. You can sign up for our weekly blogs, donate. Even better, become a monthly sponsor. And uh, speaking of sponsors, uh, thanks to Western Optometry, located in Des Moines East Village. Uh, Dr. Joel Westrom and his staff are fluent in English and Spanish. The clinic is open Monday through Friday from 9 a.m. until 5 p.m. and on Saturdays by appointment. That's Westrom Optometry. All right, so we're going to talk with Matthew Pickett in a minute here, but first I got to share a word with you on microplastics, which have now apparently polluted the peak of Mount Everest as well as the Mariana Trench in the Pacific Ocean. That's the deepest part. Of the ocean, the deepest place in the world. So, congratulations, humanity! Uh, we've made our impact. Fell from high to low on land and by sea. Yeah, and also, oh, sorry about, um, sorry about this, but I guess uh, some of those microplastics are in each of us. Uh, yeah, this is a serious situation. A story in the Guardian. Um, there, a, a prof from the University of Plymouth, Imogen Napper. Uh, says that, quote, reducing, reusing, and and recycling large amounts of plastic waste is important. Uh, But many microplastics are shed from clothing made from synthetic fabrics. And she indicated that a focus on better fabrics was needed as well as using natural fibers. So, you know, and we should care about this because, okay, I Google searched microplastics. And here's what came up. Microplastics are of concern because of the potential physical and toxicological, great word, risks they pose to organisms. Microplastics can be ingested by a wide range of animals and have been found in organisms ranging in size from small invertebrates to large mammals. Okay, and uh, editorial comment, by large mammals, uh, that, that, that includes human beings. So we should be really concerned about this, whether we care about only ourselves or about the environment as well. Um, fossil fuels, again, a problem for so many reasons, not just because of climate change, but apparently also because of these microplastics. But I want to, I want to talk about the, uh, another pipeline. Yeah, I know I'm all about these pipelines. The, um, the uh, Mountain Valley Pipeline is a great concern in the eastern U.S. And with me to talk about a walk uh, in, in support of the future of Appalachia is Matthew Pickett. Hello, Matthew. Welcome to the program.
3: Hi, Ed. Thank you so much for uh, having me on and taking an interest in Appalachia. And uh, it's 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 great to see so many eyes for, for what we're trying to do here.
0: Yeah. Well, we're here in the middle of the country, but we're trying to, trying to balance it out by getting a uh, perspective from the Rocky Mountains today and from the Appalachian Mountains. But uh, it is really a shame that so many of us have to be fighting so many bad ideas at, at the same time. But um, I'm inspired by your walk. Well, walks always inspire me, but... Uh, You've got um, a handful of very committed people who are walking a pretty good distance. I can't remember how far you guys going.
3: Oh, goodness. Uh, I'm not exactly sure how long the the official walking on the ground is, but we are going pretty much the whole way aside from a little section north um, in northwest Virginia um, for the entire 304 proposed frat gas pipeline. So we're covering many of the communities. And we're also hitting communities that are adjacent, which are fighting their own local problems. Because, of course, as you know, mm. you know, if you pollute one river system, um, everybody downriver, whether they think they're impacted or not, mm. or the air, whether they think they're mm-hmm. impacted or not, um, they're impacted. So yeah. we're, we're trying to rise up together and show solidarity and really engage with these communities that um, we need help from and, and vice versa.
0: And are you finding a good reception or are you getting pushback because some people see this as challenging you know their jobs their communities uh, you know a lot lifeblood it's a mixed bag, so I, I'm in a bit of a unique position because I've
3: been a fr- frontline fighter because the family land I was born on and have been a legal resident um, at for my entire life is is just a few hundred yards from the Mountain Valley pipeline. But I've worked with the walkers who, a lot of them in their in their 60s and some in their 70s. Um, I started last year when we walked from Scranton to Delaware, um, the Joe Biden's birth and now currently his his residence to, to, to raise awareness for these, right. these issues. The reception has been overwhelming, um, especially in the southern part of West Virginia and in the southwestern Virginia portion, um, two different states, of course. There's a lot of west and east and directions in our in our area, but um, it's it's great. We had a memorial service uh, just the other day in in the historic village of Newport in which the Mountain Valley Pipeline, quite literally, in no joking manner, goes through the village. Oh, Really, uh, the, through the, the village? The, yeah, they're, well, they're, the the old high school is on one side, and maybe a hundred meters down the road is the church. I mean, that that is, it's it's it goes right between it. Those two are straddling it. I mean, if, if it blows is right it, there, the city is, is gone. Is
0: that even legal? I mean, here in Iowa, when we've been dealing, we dealt with the Dakota Access <laughs> Pipeline, and now we have three carbon dioxide pipelines. They're all required to go around cities and towns. yeah you
3: would think that'd be a good idea yeah yeah Um, this is this is a historic village of newport it's in the county that's right next to me i've spent a lot of my time there um and one of the organizers of this walk for that stretch has worked very very hard to try and protect that historic village because it's truly beautiful um but it's a shame that that's happened it's gone right through but we had a memorial service in which you know i along with many other people were we're crying most of the time because the, the people we've lost because of stress illnesses heart attacks and strokes that fell into bad health when this pipeline had eminent domain domain their land against their will they died and they were the original people that had fought this back you know i'm a younger person so the moment i graduated from college i was thrust into this at the age of 22 um, but they were, you know, in their 80s and 90s, but they, they were the real ones that got this going. And they, they kind of passed the baton down to me and tend to allow the walkers to even be here eight years later mm-hmm. because they held on and, and slowed this down. So hopefully there's enough awareness that eight years have passed, but it's not in vain because this doesn't, this doesn't uh, go through.
0: I'm, I'm glad to hear you say that because sometimes we hear in, in movement discussions uh, this, uh, you know, this, this kind of conflict between the younger younger activists and those who are older and have been fighting these fights their entire life, it's almost as if um, some on the younger side just want to disregard everything and everyone who's been involved for, you know, decades before. So I'm I'm encouraged to hear you say that. And I'm glad to see, my impression is this walk involves people, you said in the 60s and 70s, but other people as well of all ages.
3: Oh, yeah. We had uh, a wonderful uh, youth activist. Um, She has come out with her mother for the past several days, and she's organizing the youth final action on the final day of the walk in Richmond, Virginia. She's 13 years old. So Hmm. we quite literally at one point... um, we had somebody who was either 79 or, 70 or 80. I don't remember what his right. birthday was, but he was he was walking with us for multiple days. I think he'll meet us in North Carolina when we hit that. Right. Um, but but uh, the other girl was 13. And, and you know, all, <laughs> all of the, the time, you know, we've had street sits in which those were oftentimes younger people. But in the background, while they were doing their rallying cries, we had those behind the scenes uh, work on judicial challenges, facial constitutional challenges. I happened to slot in the media side. I I was good with a camera because it's what I I did for a living and I figured I can lend this. That's the one thing that I can do that we were going to need. We're going to need to be able to control any bit of our narrative. So we all slot in together and you know, we may not all be alike, but we're working towards the same goal. And And I I think maybe that's mm. just Appalachia as we recognize we have to stand strong. We have a long history of unions um, in the coal mines here and that's sometimes forgotten. But I think that as a group. We recognize our history, and we know that without the past, we really can't be here.
0: And I assume part of the conversation is about the is about the climate impact of the Mountain Valley Pipeline, not just on Appalachia but on the world. Yep. Yes,
3: yeah, absolutely. You know, we, we, we don't need another LNG fracked gas pipeline. Um, just in the United States, you know, as I alluded to, we're polluting the headwaters of a lot of river systems. Mm-hmm. Um, water springs out of the ground. It springs out of the mountains here. It, it quite literally, when people say, where does your water come from? Like, it comes from us. Uh, we're, we're, we are supplying a lot of people a lot of water. And when you pollute those springs, that doesn't just stay local. I mean, that right. messes up us up really bad in which many communities no longer, one of my good friends doesn't wash his clothes, doesn't take showers at his own house because <laughs> the water's polluted. An organic oh, goat farmer next door uh, to him drives terrible. 20 miles one way just to get the water. But all this water goes down to the Chesapeake Bay. Yeah. It goes down to the Gulf of Mexico. And of course, then again, where is it going? Well, it looks like it's going to be exported. They don't have odorant. In this gas pipeline and one of the main reasons we could think of is that they would have to remove it if they're gonna sell it to Europe so then you're spending a lot more uh, energy to get it over there and probably back so we're just it's a whole cycle of pollution Mm -hmm. um, that impacts everybody I mean everybody's air everybody's energy all everything we're burning or consuming It's ultimately, I mean, we're all in the same pool of water. We're all in the same earth. Whatever analogy you want to do, like you can't can't pee in one side of the pool and say it's not going to (laughs) affect you, which it isn't going to happen.
0: Right. It's like the smoking section on planes. When I was a kid, there was a smoking section. Well, actually, when I was a kid, you could smoke anywhere on the plane. And then they improved (laughs) it by just allowing smoking in the back of the plane. Of course, the smoke never bothered to migrate up to the front of the plane. No. So, um, (laughs) yeah, I I hear you entirely. Um, So uh, where has the... uh, the Biden administration been on the Mountain Valley Pipeline? From my
3: understanding, it's been fairly silent. Um, Another pipeline people might associate with this region is the ACP. And these were two pipelines proposed around the same time. They made no sense, of course, because you were kind of, you know, doing two things in one area. There's no reason for both of them to go in. So you know there has been sort of this this narrative that because Biden had had canceled uh one of the pipelines out west Keystone. and maybe this was kind of yeah. revving down but you know we really have in terms of legislative help or executive help have really kind of hit a wall um and we're working all the time sometimes we get wins in the judicial system which of course we've gotten rulings several rulings this year 2022 has been probably the the most uh, impactful year for permits being revoked. right? Um, and and for us, and, and this is something that we've been working again, eight years on or going on eight years on, uh, where the courts have really been the place that we've succeeded everywhere else. Um, it's just the narrative of we've got to be energy independent or right. or whatever, just tagline with no context or no understanding of the greater um, goal. Yeah.
0: And of course, the uh, the the folks who want more fossil fuel production, the fossil fuel industry, uh, they, they're using the crisis in, in Ukraine to, um, to say, well, hey, we need to be doing more lo- no- more domestically in order to increase production uh, to help out our European allies, to make sure that we're more independent at home. And, of course, they pretend that, uh, that, um, that uh, alternatives to fossil fuels aren't, aren't reliable, but uh, that's part of the challenge right now is to fight back against, push back against that narrative
3: yeah it it certainly is and you know with this we 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 had a gentleman in his truck scream at us cheaper gas and uh i mean i think he was referring to his automobile which obviously this is this this pipeline's not supplying that Uh, this was in west virginia in white sulfur springs um but yeah i mean this this is kind of the problem right is that this doesn't by itself really solve any of the problems right away they are uh, about eighty percent over budget. So it's three point seven billion to six point six billion. So they greatly underestimated right. what they were walking into. Um, they're saying they're ninety percent complete, but, you know only 52% of the project uh, is complete to full restoration so of course with such a large number still to go I mean they're complete for maybe laying the pipe but not for the project to actually being finished Um, and this is all being exported so it's not like we're going to have or at least this is what it likely looks to us very very clearly is that we aren't the ones that are going to be receiving this so energy independent is not an argument that I can get behind because well eminent domain supposed to be for like roads and, and yeah. power lines. I can use that. I yeah. can't use any of this gas. No one can. Not yeah. any one of us that has had their land eminent domain. My mom, who is the landowner that I'm working so hard with because she's in her 70s now, um, she's never going to see this gas to be able to tap into it. That's right. not her goal. Right.
0: Well, I, you know, I, I'm impressed with your commitment. I mean, how many miles a day are you guys walking?
3: Oh gosh! Today I'm not even sure because we stopped in Roanoke. Uh, there is a, a a a a section of Montgomery County which is um, very very. Uh, it was where the elephants' sits were. If you if you know about it, they spent over 930 days in the. Um, oh right! In Up the trees.
0: In the trees to and, try to prevent the. Yes, got that.
3: Yeah, yeah. And so we, we actually visited that site. And so we walked up and, and walked all the way back out through uh, one of the gentlemen's property that this all sort of happened on. And, and we, we did an entire tour of downtown Roanoke because, of course, there is historical injustice in, in Roanoke when it comes to uh, urban renewal projects that have just devastated communities. And so this sort of hits on the point of the walk, which right. is we're not just walking for the MVP, but the walkers made a conscious effort to try and reach out to communities like Roanoke, which is kind of close to this. It's, it's They're not completely removed from the threat of the Mountain Valley pipeline, um, but they may not be thinking about it. But we need yeah. to go to them and we need to say, what are some of the issues that you're talking about? Maybe we have ideas uh, from a you know, vast wealth of knowledge from these people that have been working for 40 years in the activism space. Maybe there's a connection that they can have to assist them yeah. so that they we can help them, and then maybe they can also help us, or you know, any of that number. So I mean, we walked. We walked a lot today in like the 93 degree heat, oh, wow. and uh, mm-hmm. all these, all these walk. I mean, I was sweating with a camera man. I was having trouble, but they were they were hanging in there again. You know, these mm-hmm. these uh, these walkers that really are, are so committed to to what they're doing, which is um, making sure that there's a future for their grandchildren and and for those who come after. them.
0: And I know you've had rallies and uh, music as well. And I was really intrigued by. A uh, song by Ron Sowell called uh, Hey Joe. I, I think that's been performed at some of your rallies. Yes, yes. Uh,
3: he performed that on the steps of the Capitol in West Virginia.
0: Well, I'm going to play. Uh, right I'm
3: gonna- there. And it was a lovely moment to kick this walk truly off. We had We had a day before it. Um, but we started there. We, we had some great songs, some great speeches, and uh, actually walked down the river past Joe Manchin's house while he was out of the country waving our banners uh, and walked all the way, uh, many miles, to go to the DEP. And they sent a representative to talk to us, uh, which was great of them because they, they Sometimes don't, uh, but they came out to talk to us and basically was to encourage them to look a little bit closer into a lot of these things that are going on in their own backyard in West Virginia. Um, some of these issues I'm getting educated in, you know, Appalachia is a humongous area. Um, but yeah, I mean, we, the song is, is so important. We yeah. had hands across the AT that we we happened to, to run into. We knew the event was going and the walkers came across the bridge of the new river one of the oldest river systems in or rivers in the in the uh, east coast and if not north america and there we were we had a whole bluegrass band uh, just playing away we had through hikers that were connecting with each state they were working in environmental issues out of state and it, it's really been a it's been an event in yeah. which the communities Good. that i've been part of and the communities that other people have been part of It gives us a reason to come back out together and see each other in person. The the pandemic really took that from us in which we got energy from each other. And Zoom, while it's great and it's convenient, sometimes isn't enough because we gotta remember who we're fighting for. And And that is everybody, whether it's the people that are just coming in for a few weeks to walk or the people down the road we don't see often because we work in different towns. We're we're doing it for everybody and it's great for them to, to be doing this, and I, I feel so honored to be able to, to be asked by them for a second time now to document what they're doing because I think it's important.
0: Yeah, well, Matthew, uh, thank you uh, so much. And I do want to play on the way out, folks. We're going to play Ron Sobel's uh, song. Well, actually, the song, you'll recognize it, it's Hey Jude, the Beatles. But, um, but Ron has written some pretty, um, I think, fun and provocative words. Addressed to Joe Biden, and by the way, Matthew, me and Joe Biden go back a long way. Uh, when I ran, when I ran for governor in 06, afterwards he and I got together for a beer and a game of pool. Um, oh, wonderful! Intriguing guy, intriguing guy. Uh, great talker, not a great listener. But I hope, uh, I hope he is listening to you, and I hope he's listening to the scientists and to those who are saying we've got to do something about the climate crisis, and that means stopping, ex- stopping these uh, fossil fuel uh, expansion projects. So again, Matthew, thank you so much for joining us. And folks, um, if you'd like to get in touch with The Walk, Matthew, where do you send people?
3: You know, right now, there's, a, there's Power Coalition. I, I would say to check out them. They're a multi-county organization. It's POWHR.org. Okay. And they are connected to so many of the other fighters. So if you want to go and have a one-stop shop, you can reach out there, get connected, and find whoever you want on this pipeline route that's specific to your right. interests.
0: P-O-W-H-R. Matthew, thanks again for joining us, and here's Hey Joe.
1: Hey Joe, don't let us down Take this troubled world and make it better Remember, we're running out of time We're down to the line with this changing weather Hey Joe, it's getting warm Hurricanes, floods, and fires ablazing. What we do now will decide the world that we leave for the next generation. For many years, fossil fuels have made the rules and called all the shots. For the politicians, but like the Dinah their time has come to step aside for a new solution.
0: Gateway Marketing Cafe is Des Moines' locally owned grocery and specialty food store, With over 5,000 items to choose from, you can order groceries online and the Gateway team will bring them to you curbside. It's a convenient way to shop from anywhere and save time. Gateway's Cafe is open for dine-in, carry-out, and delivery service seven days a week with catering and floral services also available. Visit gatewaymarket.com for more details. Gateway Market, good food, great community. At Westrom Optometry, Dr. Joel Westrom and his team provide a variety of services, including comprehensive eye exams, children's eye exams, and LASIK co-management. Whether strictly utilitarian or a fashion statement, your comfort and vision are Westrom's primary concern. Dr. Westrom and his staff will work closely with you to determine the best solution for your eyes prescription, and lifestyle. Services are provided in English and Spanish, and the clinic is open Monday through Friday from 9 a.m. till 5 p.m. and on Saturdays by appointment. That's Western Optometry located in Des Moines East Village. Welcome back to you know, you can support this alternative to the Shock Jocks by becoming a monthly donor or a business sponsor. Check out the Fallon Forum website for details. That's fallonforum.com. Uh, speaking of sponsors, thanks to psychiatrist Dr. David Drake. Wherever you live in Iowa, Dr. Drake can help through the convenience and privacy of televideo counseling offered on a self-paid basis. Contact David Drake, daviddrakefamilypsychiatry.com. All right, so there are crazies on the left and on the right, and um, we're going to start with the left. A legislative candidate, a, Dem- a Democrat running for the Iowa House, um, just last week, um, heckled Congresswoman Cindy Axney. Now, I am a big fan, a huge supporter, big believer in freedom of speech. If you want to say something, you should have the right to say it. That's really important. That doesn't mean everything you say makes sense or is important or that what you say is said in a way that is helpful. Now, I, you know, I've, I've, again, I've done a lot, of, a, a lot of activism of all types, but I've never heckled anybody. I, I just don't, I don't, I don't understand why that seems to make any sense. But Jalen Cavill, uh, a guy running for the Iowa House, a Democrat running for the Iowa House, um, participated in, a, and he, a, as far as I know, I think he might have even organized it, in a protest against Cindy Axney, uh, when she was talking about the Invest to Protect Act. Okay, so before we talk about what, what Cavill and others did, um, what is the Invest to Protect Act? It's um it's a it's a it's a bipartisan effort in Congress that would provide two hundred and fifty million over the course of the next five years to do a bunch of things. Uh, one of them is to de escalate um, well, to promote de-escalation and domestic violence response training. Um, sounds like a good thing to me. Uh, that would allow officers officers to receive critical training that will make them more effective at their jobs, relevant to those concerns. It would also provide body cameras. And, I, you know, I, I don't know how police officers feel about body cameras, but as somebody who has, you know, had occasional uh, run-ins with the police, not, not, not as a not as a, a criminal, but uh, as a civil resistor, occasionally. Uh, I mean, I've, I've been involved in situations where I am confronting the police. I like the fact that they have cameras. Uh, I like the fact that we sometimes have cameras. The more documentation of what's going on, the better for the people who are expressing their First Amendment rights. So that's a good thing as far as I can tell. Uh, the act would also support officer recruitment and um, and uh, would provide mental health resources for officers. And it's, um, you know, it's, it's supported by, uh, well, one of, the, one of the key sponsors is, um, is uh, Senator Catherine Cortez Masto of uh, Nevada. Um, another one is Reverend Raphael Warnock, Senator Raphael Warnock from Georgia, uh, a, a, one of the leaders in the black community in the U.S. Uh, he supports this bill. Okay, so uh, Black Liberation Movement people led by, I think, Jalen Cavill at this event, um, at this event with Cindy Axony opposing the bill. Uh, And again, I don't don't fault anybody for opposing it. And again, I would say this from my casual read of it, and I've spent, you know, maybe an hour looking at it. I think it makes sense. If I was to take a vote on it, I would learn a lot more. And maybe if I dug into it, I'd find some things I was concerned about. To go into a meeting like that, against just a small group of people, and to heckle and shout and to make it impossible. What happened was that actually started taking questions from people present, and I think there were three questions were asked, and then she gave up. She said, "Okay, we just can't do this. Um, there was too much noise. The, the, the hecklers were preventing other people from expressing their First Amendment opportunity." And there's um. <laughs> You know, there's a clip of uh, of Cavill, uh, basically, you know, not preventing Axley from ask, answering a question about the um, about the uh, the act. I will um, I will play that for you. It's a, it's a very short clip. I actually wish I had a little bit more detail about this, but this is the only thing I could find.
3: That is not where we should be spending our money. We need Sir, to be putting money that I, into services. You just literally said I don't support
2: of our black community and what that bill does is get people uh, into we having black police practice. officers. The does police not stop. were made to catch slaves.
0: Again, I wish I had more to go on, but you can check out that that video and uh, brief in, interaction is online. And it's uh, you know, it's it's just a continuation of the heckling, you know, not not letting even her respond, not letting other people have a chance to ask questions. Uh, it was also reported by one source that Cavill called Axony a racist C-word, which uh, I'm not even sure the FCC would prevent me from saying that, but I'm not going to say that because that is so offensive. Again, this is from a guy who wants to serve in the Iowa State House, And again, I'm hardly against protest. The First Amendment right is something we should all cherish and something I cherish and have benefited from extensively. But, you know, by heckling and by shouting, Cavill and others denied other people the opportunity to have their thoughts and questions addressed. Um, Axne was quoted after the uh, exchange as saying, quote, it just to me buys into too much of what's happening in this country right now, which is people who aren't willing to look at the information and absorb it, but just want to start an ideological fight. And that's a sad place. End of quote. Spot on. She's exactly right. And again, I don't always agree with Axne either. I've, I've, I've met with her. Uh, Several times, I've even been to one protest at her office, which, which uh, you know, it it got a little bit out of hand, but it wasn't bad. (laughs) It wasn't like this where you're shouting down other people. Um, Yeah, I, I just think, yeah, at at some point, uh, we we have to stop this yelling at each other. We, she's exactly right. And again, I get it. Kathy and I were we participated in I think what five or six BLM rallies and marches after the shooting of George Floyd. Uh, we know that there is racism uh, in police departments. We know that there is systemic racism. We know that has to be addressed. Heck, I knew that before many people involved with the movement were born. I you know for 14 years back in the early 90s, and well in the in the in the 1980s is when I moved to the poorest and most racially diverse part of Des Moines. And for 14 years, I represented that area, the most heavily minority district in the state. I represented that area at the state house. Uh, you know, and, and parts of the district I represented were were heavily, you know, Caucasian. But where I lived was heavily black. Uh, and those are the precincts that I did the best in, sometimes with 90% of the vote. There was a much more um, uh, civil approach to these conversations. And there was an appreciation by my black constituents of having white allies. Like, I, I don't think my opinions are wanted by some of these folks. I don't think, uh, I, yeah, my, my impression is that if you don't buy into their approach, then you've got nothing to say. But no, I don't buy into the approach of heckling. I don't think that's helpful. Uh, I certainly don't want to see that in uh, a, a state lawmaker. The voices of division, the uh, Crazy stuff is not just on the left. In fact, some of the worst of it's on the right. We have seen that in response in response to the um, horrific uh, shooting in Texas. We've seen it in many other cases. Well, we saw it here in Iowa uh, just last week, the very last day of session. Uh, the Republican majority in the Iowa House and Senate passed a bill that allows deer hunters to use semi-automatic rifles during a new season. That would be in January. They voted for that the same day as the horrible shooting in Texas. That's a different kind of crazy than heckling. It's worse. <laughs> Come on, I mean, really, AR-15s to hunt deer? What are you thinking? And I know the um, the rationale given was, okay, we've um, we've got a problem with deer eating too much coin. We, corn. We've got deer. Um, getting hit by cars all the time, endangering people's lives. I get that. There are as many as 12,000 deer car crashes a year in Iowa alone. I get that. That's a problem. Gunning them down with AR-15s is not the answer. (laughs) Uh, You know, I mean, plenty of cities in Iowa are home to lots of deer, and a lot of cities are trying very, very innovative ways to deal with the deer population, and it's working. there, there. There's at least one city that has a sharpshooter deer culling program. Most cities opt for a bow hunting program. I, and if I've missed it, correct me. But I have not heard of one single incident where a bow hunter or sharpshooter in a city trying to cull an excess deer population has accidentally hurt anyone else. I don't. I. But you know, you're, you're talking about an AR-15. Okay. So here's Todd Pritchard. He's a, a Democratic lawmaker from uh, Floyd County. He's a former active duty U.S. soldier, Army soldier, and, and now a current. he's currently a lieutenant colonel in the U.S. Army Reserve. He is very much opposed to the bill, and he said on the floor of the House that AR-15 type rifles that are allowed for hunting are similar to those he was trained to use in the military, and um, ammunition fired by those rifles can travel up to two and a half miles. Two and a half miles. Think about that. Pritchard pointed out that um, you know he'd had about two hundred hours of basic rifle marksmanship in order to learn how to handle those type of weapons. Well, you know we you, you know we're not gonna nobody going out to shoot a herd of deer uh, is gonna have that kind of training. Uh, Pritchard also pointed out that his home is close enough to the edge of. Of, of town that um, such weapons uh, fired from hunting areas near his town of Charles City could easily put his family within reach of those bullets, again fired and traveling two and a half miles. Okay, so, you know, I, I'm against craziness on all sides, and uh, I will say this I think this bit of craziness from the right is even more dangerous. Um, I don't like heckling, I don't like uh, shouting down. Uh, candidates or elected officials, I don't, I, I don't believe that's constructive or allows other people a chance to participate. But gee, some automatic weapons to hunt deer, that's a whole new level of crazy. Okay, folks, this is Ed Fallon. And when we come back from a short break, Kathy Burns is going to join me for our farm and food segment. You know, many experts and international observers warn us that there is a pending global food crisis. We will discuss that when we return from a short break. Architecture by Synthesis provides planning, design, and design build services for high performance, low maintenance, affordable homes and buildings. Owner Mark Clipsham is adamantly and actively committed to supporting the mission of the Fallon Forum and community radio stations. Mark knows we must all live and work with the goal of building better health for both people and planet. And he works to implement that vision through his stewardship of Architecture by Synthesis. You can learn more at architecturebysynthesis.com.
2: At Story County Veterinary Clinic, Dr. Kim Holding has over 30 years of experience working with all creatures, great and small. Cat, dog, horse, cow, elephant. Well, if you've got a pet elephant, you may be in trouble. Kim's clients stick with her year after year because they know she'll do right by them and their pets and farm animals. So give Kim a shout to keep your animals happy and healthy. Call 515-232-8766. That's 232-8766.
0: Welcome back to the Family Forum. Remember, you can support this alternative to the shock jocks by becoming a monthly donor or if you own a small business or run a nonprofit, you can also become a sponsor of this program. Thanks to uh, Architecture by Synthesis, adamantly and actively supporting the mission of this program and community radio stations. Owner Mark Klippchen knows we have to build better health for people and the planet and the services he provides are committed to that goal. That's architecture by synthesis. All right, Kathy Burns is with me for our farm and food segment. And I'm seeing this a lot in the news cycle. Concerns about a global food crisis. Some say it's already here, some say it's on the horizon. What's your take from your study, Kathy, on this contention of a looming global food crisis?
2: Well, it's not fun to think about and it's happening in some places of course. And um, when those of us who uh, have been, for the most part, food secure throughout our lives, uh, start to believe that it can only happen to other people, it's time to really pay attention. So um, there was a headline uh, from an NPR article, National Public Radio, just about a week ago. It really Caught my attention, and uh, it's about, the, the headline is, With food prices climbing, the U.N. is warm, warning of crippling global shortages. Crippling, the word yeah. is crippling um, and then global. We've
0: seen some shortages on certain products, mm-hmm. but crippling means hunger.
2: Yes, yeah, and um, and uh, dire. Hunger leading to death. So three different causes were outlined in this story. The war in Ukraine, of course. Ukraine and Russia are some of the world's largest wheat producers. Right. And we eat a lot of we wheat. We love product. our wheat. We do. We're, we're,
0: Extra gluten. <laughs> a lot of
2: flour, a lot of different kinds of grain, and flour is a staple We, we of make our a diet. lot
0: of our own bread. We mm-hmm. uh, we make pancakes. Uh, yep. What else? Uh, everything. Longless. All Longless.
2: the things. Uh, climate change was the second... Reason that we are uh, needing to watch out for this heat waves, drought, climate chaos,
0: fires, yeah, everything
2: putting um, crops uh, in danger and food in short supply. And I think because of those, Two things put together, rising inflation is um, hmm. cited as the third thing to watch as far as the potential for a global food crisis.
0: Making what products are more expensive for people who can, Ill, you know, ill afford to pay those prices. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
2: It's it's always the folks who have the least who are affected the quickest and the most severely. Um, the number of severely food insecure people has reportedly doubled. In the past two years, from that's 135 million pre-pandemic to 276 million.
0: 276 today. million. Put that, in, that That's um, that's like three fourths, two thirds, three fourths of the U.S. population. Mm-hmm.
2: And that's just that's people huge. suffering yeah. from food insecurity. Right now, more than half a million people are experiencing famine, and that's an increase. Get this: since 2016, that's an increase of 500 percent. Yeah.
0: And so uh, I mean, I've heard that the UN Secretary General is uh, among those saying that this is going to get worse. Um, mm-hmm. I think the quote I saw was the specter of global food shortage in the coming months is is likely uh, you know, barring
2: mm-hmm.
0: you know a real significant change of direction. Mm-hmm. It's a real solid that's, action.
2: That's an important part of it um, without urgent action. and so mm-hmm. we, we do have to take action. Um, according to that same UN uh, report in the past year, global food prices have risen by about a third, fertilizer by more than a half, and, of course, oil prices by almost two-thirds. Yeah, so, it, some of that is just, just price gouging. Well, sure,
0: and it's a shame that oil has to be a part of the farming equation. It's not just for the actual production part. Of course, it's for shipping as well. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I always point to Cuba. When the Soviet Union collapsed mm-hmm. back in, what, 89, 1990, Cuba, who had been on a very traditional, conventional uh, you know, food production system, lots of inputs, lots of fertilizer, mm-hmm. chemicals, oil, mm-hmm. they had to switch, and they switched really fast. Well, three years it took them, which is a long time to um, go on a, a meager diet, but they but made the a switch. that's a
2: fast turnaround. That's very a, fast. That's way faster than we seem to be able to get anything like that going in the US. Yeah. As far as uh, sustainable local food production yeah. and um, and something that's not going to ravage the earth anymore, uh, three countries in particular were were examined in this um, report that we're citing the the UN's report: Africa, India, and China. In Africa, it says in Ethiopia, Somalia, and Kenya, the number of people facing extreme hunger has more than doubled since last year, from roughly 10 million to more than 23 million today. Mm, yeah. In India, the heat waves, of course. Oh, crazy, 122 um,
0: degrees. They've devastated
2: mm. the wheat harvest. Uh, and that's making prices go up worldwide. Uh, of course, the, the, the wheat harvest uh, being hit in Ukraine and Ukraine and Russia are some of the largest wheat producers. Right. So that's huge. And then uh, it says in China, prices of fresh vegetables are 25% higher than a year ago mm, well. and that was from the country's own uh you know national bureau of statistics but uh hey. th- these just these these aren't um these aren't countries that are are in this alone and so, in places in the US of course we're seeing it too
0: Thank you for all the good news Kathy you know what I'm do we do, what do we what do we do about it
2: Well, and we, in our small way, are trying to grow food sustainably and teach other people to do it here at Mm -hmm. Birds and Bees Urban Farm. Um, We've got to talk to um, legislators. We've got to talk to, um, you know, uh, different uh, the the U.S. Department of Ag. We've got to we've got to talk about what we can do here in the U.S. to minimize our impact on the Mm -hmm. ability to supply food, not just for the U.S. but for some other countries as well. Um, so what, what does
0: the U.N. recommend? I mean, they've, 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 they they yeah. came off with this criticism, but do they yeah. also have any recommendations?
2: Yes. Um, they, they want to increase supplies of food and fertilizers.
0: So how do you do that? How do you increase that, the supply of food when you've got a war in Ukraine and
2: I, I a heat wave in India? I how found that a that? very confusing recommendation <clears throat> it's not um, like you could
0: just wave a magic wand and suddenly you've got more food and I know. more fertilizer the
2: other the other ones seem like they're a little more you know something we could work on social protection systems within countries in other words when people are hurting getting them the help first mm, and fastest okay. um, more access to international finance uh, you know make, make the, uh, <laughs> to to help those who are hurting the most get what they need the okay. so i believe right. that's what that's about um uh, further government help for smallholder food producers. So that makes the most that, sense to me right there. That makes a I huge mean, amount of sense. In the long
0: haul, especially. And yeah. the last
2: one, better funding for humanitarian uh, humanitarian operations to reduce famine and hunger. So right. those are the recommendations. And um, I don't know, yeah. well, just pay attention and try yeah, to do it's, your part.
0: It's, got, it's a serious situation, folks. Um, yeah, pay attention for sure. Kathy, uh, thanks so much for joining us. You're welcome. Uh, thanks to my guests today, Matthew Pickett and Jeff Kissling. Thanks to our production team of Sherry Herdina, Forrest Detterman, Charles Goldman, Kathy Burns, and myself, Ed Fallon. Thanks to our local small business partners, Gateway Marketing Cafe, Architecture by Synthesis, Story County Veterinary Clinic, Western Optometry, and Dr. David Drake Family Psychiatry. Remember, your support for this program matters a lot. Uh, Thanks, folks. Again, we'll be back next week with another hour of Cutting Edge Talk Radio.